The power of the word of God. It transforms and changes the earth. It changes us. It causes us to see you and know you and draw near to you. I pray for faith to arise in this house and in our hearts today as your word is heard by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds. I pray if anyone here has never given their life to your son, Jesus Christ, that today you will grab their hearts, give them the gift of faith in you, and save them, Jesus, because we all need you. And everybody said amen. 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 All right, so this last night I was praying for you, and this is what I said to the Lord. I said, I want to give them hope, Lord. And then this thought came to me. That's the easiest thing in the world to give to people because God is the God of hope and the Bible is the book of hope. So it's really hard to mess it up. I mean, giving hope is the easiest thing to do when you are talking about the gospel. So in John chapter 5, we're going through the book of, of John. We're in John chapter 5, and I just want to read, and here we go. John chapter 5. Well, the first thing I want to say is this. Jesus is the most compassionate when we are the most desperate. It is in our weakest areas, the areas of our deepest fears, loneliness, sickness, frustrations and disappointments, Because we need him so much more in times like that, he draws the closest. Because that's just who he is. The Bible says that God is very near a broken spirit and those who are crushed in heart. He also said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me and anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. That might be you today. No That the more broken you are, the closer Jesus is to you. So, we're going to see a case of that right here in John chapter 5. A man who was so desperate, there was no hope and there was no help until Jesus came on the scene. But this isn't about this man. This is about you. John the apostle picked miracles. He selected specific miracles. You look at Mark, and it's just miracles cover to cover. The same thing with Luke. The same thing with Matthew. You get to John, he picks specific miracles because each one has a message. So the healing of this man that we're going to read is so that we can see who Jesus really is. And so that you can have faith that if Jesus can do this for this man, he can do the same thing for you. Can I hear an amen? All right, now let's read this account and let's apply it to ourselves. Because Jesus is alive and well today and he knows your name. John chapter 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. That verse right there is one you could just quickly read over. Just think of some kind of background. Verse 2 is chock full of good stuff. First of all, I love the fact it says 
the sheep gate. Jesus went to this pool. This pool is called the pool of Bethesda, which means the house of mercy. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? The house of mercy. We all need mercy. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is his mercies are new every morning. I tell my kids when they screw up. I say, you know what? In the morning, it's a fresh start. I remember the first time I told Sam that. I went up to his room. He's 13 years old. I walked in and he said, Dad, it's a new day. It's a fresh start, right? I said, you better believe it, buddy. Last night's over. Today's a brand new day. And he just gave me a big hug. That's the way we need to view God because that's who our God is. This pool is called the pool of mercy or the house of mercy. And it's by the sheep gate. And you keep reading and it says... In verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to come back and explain why verse 2 is so packed. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man there was there who was there uh, had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said, "Do you want to be made well?" Ah oh, man, this is what I love about Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem for a feast. We're talking about a massive celebration. All the mucky mucks are going to be there. Thousands of people coming up to the palaces, to the feasting halls, to the places where everybody's going to be. The paparazzi's going to be there. I mean, this is the place to be. Where does Jesus go? Where does Jesus go? He slips off and goes down to the sheep gate. By the pool of Bethesda to the lame and the blind and the paralyzed and the weak and the loved. They're not invited. Nor could they make it if they were invited. And that's where Jesus goes. <laughs> yes. Now Jesus, Jesus is for the up and outer too. This doesn't make them more holy. Jesus came for the down and outers and the up and outers. He went to Zacchaeus' home, who was a chief tax collector, and had lunch with him. Zacchaeus got saved too. The rich need Jesus, the poor need Jesus, the middle class need Jesus, the sick need Jesus, the well need Jesus, the white, black, yellow, green need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Amen? But Jesus is particularly drawn to those who are the outcasts. And he goes by the sheep gate. I love that. He calls us his sheep. He is the great shepherd. This pool was a place where they, they, they would, this is the place where they sacrifice sheep. They would bring the sheep through the sheep gate. Then they would clink, they'd wash them in the pool and then they would sacrifice them to worship. So our shepherd leaves the party, goes through the sheep gate, comes to the pool and sees this man. Who's been there for 38 years. Nobody's spending time with this guy. One of the greatest acts of mercy you and I can ever show somebody. Is just to be with them in their suffering. 
to visit them in their time of suffering. That is a mercy indeed. I love the phrase that says that a sorrow shared is half the sorrow and a joy shared is twice the joy. Jesus comes up to this man and he asks him a bizarre question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? What a strange question to ask a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Do you want to be made? You know, you just want you just want to slap him. It's like, what kind of a question is that? Do you want to? Jesus asked the same question to two blind men. You know what he said to them? Two blind guys. Jesus. Now, we know Jesus is smart, right? How many believe Jesus was the most intelligent guy in the room? He asked these two blind guys, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think he's doing here? Believe it or not, there are people that are in their crisis and they truly do not want out. I had a person come down one time and I wanted to pray for them to be healed. And they said, actually, I don't think I want you to pray for them to be healed because I'm dependent on my SSI check. See, I think his question here is a profound question. This guy has been in this condition for 38 years. He's learned how to get along. Sometimes you have a sickness, a disease, a brokenness, a a story that you're so married to and so emotionally tied to. It has literally become your identity. And it's a fearful thing to have your life completely changed by being healed. Some people, listen, we all do. I'm going to say it out loud. We all love sympathy. It feels so good. Pity feels so good to the flesh. I want you to know how much I have suffered. I want you to feel sorry for me. I remember one guy came in for counseling and he came to tell his story. And I I, I didn't know until after we got going that this is his gig. This is what he does. He goes from church to church to church and he wants to tell his story over and over and over again. It became his identity. And when he said, when he started telling me his story, he says, aren't you going to record this? I said, uh, no. Are you, aren't you going to take notes? I said, no. I mean, he was literally disappointed that he wasn't going to be able to tell his story and for me to get it all recorded. Because I want to hear your story and I want us to come to Jesus so you can get healed, so you can be a successful citizen On the planet, be the salt and light of the world, not an abscess that just spews on everybody around you. My wife had a dream this week. And 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 listen, God communicates to my wife in dreams a lot. Some of her dreams are different, different than others. This dream, she lives on her laptop. She's a Ph.D. student in public health. She lives on her laptop. And we got a really nice Apple $1,500 laptop. I mean, it is her baby. And she had a dream that there was, what do we call it? Dog poop all over it. 
God will communicate to you in a way that you can understand. He's a personal God. And she was livid. I mean, she said, I was so mad. And then this thought struck her head. If I believe, what was it? What did you, what was the thought? It is what I see it to be. And she said, I see this as chocolate pudding. (laughs) And she said, it changed to chocolate pudding. And I said, did you taste it? And she said, yes. (laughs) And then she woke up. And the next day, she got really bad news. Like news that would make her cry. It had to do with her, her career, her uh, their PhD program. And she failed a test. And now she's never failed a test in her life. And it means that she's going to have to go take a couple of the classes and just the stress and anxiety, the time, the money, all that kind of stuff. And then it hit her. The Lord knew that she had failed that test. And he is saying to her, the way you see this is the way it will be. Woo! She said, this is chocolate pudding. She said, I don't know how yet, <laughs> but, but I'm calling this chocolate pudding. Isn't God so creative? I mean, that gets your attention, doesn't it? She's, she's one of my heroes. God beat cancer twice. And she refuses to be a victim. And I'm telling you, it empowers our entire family. Living in sorrow. Listen, we have all dealt with hard things in life. But the way you deal with the hard thing determines what kind of a human being you're going to be. And it determines whether you're going to be the salt and light of the world or not. Because is God God? Is he the God of hope? Is he the God of restoration? Is he the God of healing? That's who we proclaim. But it's not tested until you get dog poop on your laptop. The proof is in the pudding. I don't know whether to give the Holy Spirit credit for that or not, but that was spontaneous and it worked, so I will. (laughs) Jesus, do you want to be made well? Jesus is asking you that question this morning. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to keep rehearsing your divorce, the spiritual abuse you experienced, the betrayal of a friend? Is that what you want your identity to be? Or do you want your identity to be Jesus is enough for me? He has healed me. He has strengthened me. And he's turned what the devil meant for evil into good. And that's my testimony. And then you lift everybody else up around you. Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? It's your choice. I'm preaching to myself. I was taking a walk with my wife this week. And I turned to her, 
after I spewed out a bunch of negativity. And I turned to her and I thought, I, I should probably focus on my wife. And I said, honey, how can I help you? I mean, she's a mother of six, two special needs children, a special needs husband, a pastor's wife of a rocking church, and a Ph.D. student. And I thought, I should probably ask her. I said, how can I help you? And she was quiet. And then I said, how about if I wasn't so negative? And she looked at me and she said, well, I don't want to bleed for the impossible. <laughs> Nothing like getting kicked, you know, when you're taking a walk with your, with your bride. Not that I would want to believe for the impossible, she says to me. Huh? Uh, I don't remember. I, that's all I remember. <laughs> I've, I've, I still feel the pain of that comment. So what did you say? I said chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding. She wants chocolate pudding. Do you want to be made well? The sick man answers him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. I want to say something about this pool. Now, there's a debate whether this was a tradition, I mean, a, a myth or a reality that the water stirred up and then an angel came down and stirred the water and people got healed. I could care less. Jesus is going to trump the whole mess. When Jesus comes, it doesn't matter whether this was real or not. Now, unbelief will talk you out of everything. I mean like the Red Sea splitting. I was watching this Christian who was being interviewed by this, by this interviewer, and there was an atheist there, and they were talking about the miracles of God and whether they were truly real or not, and he brought out the Red Sea. And the atheist says, Regarding the splitting of the Red Sea, I happen to know that at that time of season, that part of the sea is only two feet deep. And the Christian said, well, that's even a greater miracle that God could drown the entire Egyptian army in two feet of water. <laughs> Skepticism can really be cloaked unbelief. Well, I just want it to be real. Well, you know what? I would rather overbelieve than underbelieve. I would rather be thanking God for a good thing that happened that might not have been him because it might have been him. And he deserves praise. I do not want to be the nine lepers who got healed by Jesus and they went on with their life. One leper came back and bowed down and thanked Jesus. I mean, there's many ways to explain certain things. Like another thing in the Bible, Hezekiah, the prophet comes in. You're going to die. Get your house in order. The prophet leaves. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, cries out to God, and the pro God stops the prophet in the courtyard and says, go back in. I, and he goes back in and he says, I've seen your tears and I've heard your prayers. I'm giving you another 15 years. When you're up against the wall, when death is certain, cry out to God. He sees your tears. 
He hears your prayers. And so then God tells the person to do something strange. Tells the prophet to rub some balm on his leg or body or foot or whatever it was. And so then I read some commentators that actually believe that's what healed him. The guy is going to die and you're going to rub something on him and that's going to make him live. That's where our natural minds would go. So why did he do that? I have no idea. Why does God tell us to put oil on people and then pray for him? The, the oil doesn't heal the person. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. Unbelief is not your friend. Unbelief will talk you out of every miracle, every answered prayer. I hate unbelief. Hate unbelief. Unbelief will take this passage right here and say, well, see, Jesus only healed this one guy. It says there were many lame and sick and blind. He didn't heal them all, see? Unbelief will preach that sermon. You will not hear that from this pulpit or from this man. When you look at the full gospel, every gospel, you see Jesus constantly healing them all, healing them all, healing them all, healing them all. John's cherry picking this healing wasn't for us to focus on all the other sick people who Jesus may not have healed. We don't know that. He could have gone back later and healed them all. Jesus slipped out of a party, went down, found a man that was desperate, healed him, and then it was a hit and run. I like to call it a healing run. And then the Pharisees that were persecuting Jesus, wanted to kill Jesus, said to the man, as you read through the story, who healed you? And the guy said, I have no idea. That's how fast it was. Jesus heals him and goes. The guy didn't even know who healed him. Jesus was doing a heal and run. I've done that before. I was at Point Loma Nazarene College, and that is not a spirit-filled environment. But there was a guy that's over spiritual development there, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. He heard about me because I had a college campus. I had a college ministry at San Diego State University. We got together. He said, come down to Point Loma. I went down to Point Loma. All the kids are in this room just like this, and they were worshiping. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he was already in trouble with the administration because he was already operating in the gifts of the Spirit, which at that time, I don't know where they are now, but they didn't believe in that. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, and I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not good. I'm sitting right in the front row. And somebody comes up to me and asks one of the kids, teenagers, asked me if I could pray. And I prayed over her, and bam, she hit the floor under the power of God. I was like, oh, no. I'm here as a guest from the guy over spiritual development. And this is not my show. So I get up, and I start walking out to get out of there. Another student comes down the aisle and said, pray for me. I prayed, bam, and she hits the floor. Another one, bam, hit the floor. I, I ran out of there and drove away. Because it's going to be on my friend. He's the one that's going to get in trouble. That literally was a hit, the floor, and run. Jesus specifically wanted to heal this guy and to get out of there. And later, I love this about Jesus. The guy, he gets healed. 
The Pharisees don't care about his healing. That's how mean-spirited they were. The guy's been crippled for 38 years. You can read on because we're out of time, so I'm not going to read the rest, but you know what happens. Or if you don't, he gets healed. And then the Pharisees say, Who healed you? You're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. Seriously? You're that ugly? I knew you were mean. I didn't know you were that mean. Ignore my healing and get mad at me because I'm carrying my mat on the Sabbath day. That is religion. Religion is mean. All it cared about is its rules and its power. And that's why Jesus did this on the Sabbath, by the way. I think he purposely did it on the Sabbath. Because he wanted to introduce people to a relationship, not religion. That God cares about every individual on every day of the week. That a person that needs help is more important than the law of the Sabbath, which actually was given to us by God for our health. Think about it. This is what religion does. Religion literally locks us out of God. God gives us a law, the Ten Commandments. Part of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath, which is take a day off, my children. You can't work seven days a week and stay healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. you got to take a day off. And that's still the way we're made, by the way. It's for our health. The Pharisees took that law, and they wrap all these tiny, 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 tiny little applications of the law all the way out until your whole relationship with God is the rules. I remember... I was a bad kid when I was a teenager, and I was an all-guy Catholic high school, and I did things that, you know, nor Jesus nor the Mother Mary would have been pleased with at all. I remember I told a joke in, in, in study hall one time. I told a joke, and my gosh, did you hear crickets? I didn't know. I was a freshman, and I was, you know, under the pile of, a, you know, I was the youngest of six uh Kids in a Roman Catholic family. And, and look, if you've had a positive experience in Catholicism, you truly met Jesus, praise the Lord. That wasn't my experience. My experience was this religious structure, and I never knew that God loved me, nor did I know I could walk with Jesus as a friend. And I did not know for sure that salvation was a free gift. So I was bad. And... I remember the first time I went into confessional, I didn't even know what they were doing. The freshman class goes into the chapel, and they all go back through this door one at a time. And they come out. I don't know what they're doing back there. And then it's my turn. I walk back there, and there's Father Play, the principal. And he says, John, so uh, what sins have you committed since the last time that you had confession? And I thought, and I thought, and I said, None. <laughs> He laughed out loud. He's never heard of such a thing. I had no conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
He said, well, say three Hail Marys, you'll be okay. And I couldn't even do that. And so he had to help me with that. He thought, oh, this poor kid is at least going to purgatory. <laughs> anyway, so after I graduate from high school, I go to college. My freshman year in college, I get saved. I'm thinking, woohoo! They're, they're going to, down at that Catholic church, that school, they're going to be blown away that John Antor got saved. So I went back down there. And, and I go, yeah, you know where this is headed, don't you? Yeah. I go into the dean's office and I sit down and I said, you are never going to believe what happened. He said, what? I said, I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I'm just like brand new, brand spanking new saved, right? My face is glowing, you know. And I'm thinking he's going to dance a jig around the desk. He said, what diocese are you a part of? I didn't know what a diocese was. I said, what? Is it the Moose Club? What? <laughs> well, just, you know, in, in certain religions, they have, you know, auspices. You have authority over certain regions. And it's a great grid. I mean, it's a great design as long as Jesus is in the middle of it all. I said, ah, ah. And he said, when did you, when did you join this cult? I'm thinking, what's a cult? I'm I'm so confused. I don't understand. I thought we were going to be friends now. You know, I said, I left there so discouraged and confused. I didn't understand. Now I understand religious systems and structures. Jesus understood too. He came to the earth, came to the epicenter of religion, called it religion, introduced people like you and I, to a free relationship with God through Jesus. And it's open to anybody and everybody. The masses, the prostitutes and the alcoholics and the tax collectors and the white collar and the blue collar and the Jew and the non-Jew, the woman at the well, the Samaritan. I mean, you just go through the Gospels and you see the beauty of, of our God as a human being walking through the people he created and just healing them as he goes. And the religious system was losing their control and their power. So they killed him. But that was God's design. And then God raised them from the dead. And he now is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And his call to us is twofold. One, come to him. He says, come to me. I'm your only way out. This man, at the end of the story, Jesus, it's just so beautiful. Jesus does a hit and run, a heal and run, gets out of there. The guy goes to the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus. Jesus was avoiding them, which is why he did it so fast. They said, who is this man? And that's the key question through all the Gospels. Who is this man? And that's the question you have to answer. Who is this man? Your answer to that question determines your eternal destiny, heaven or hell. It also determines your current restoration. Who is this man? Does he still heal today? Does he still talk today? Does he see me? Does he know me? Does he love me? Who is this man? Your answer to those questions open or close heaven to you. So he goes and finds this man who went to the temple to give thanks to God. 
How beautiful is that? The first place he goes is to church. Paralyzed 38 years. First place he goes is to the house of God. Jesus finds him. Isn't that beautiful how the shepherd seeks out his sheep? And then he says something to him interesting. He said, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. So in this guy's situation, sin is what caused this disease. And we know that sin can open the door to sickness and disease. Some of you may need to repent from unrepented sin this morning, and your healing may come through that window. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, James, said in James chapter 5, Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let the elders of the church anoint you with oil and pray a prayer filled with faith, and the Lord will save the sick. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be healed. So right there we see sin and sickness have a connection. It's not always the connection. Sometimes it is. But Jesus comes to us twofold. One, come to me for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. And some of you need to do that today. The second call is for you and I to share Jesus with the world. You cannot hoard your salvation. You've got to tell people about your faith in Jesus and how good he is. You've got to tell your story. This guy left the church, went right back to the Pharisees and said, I got an answer to my question. The man who healed me was Jesus. You may not be able to share at work or at school or with your family members every day of the week, but that's got to be your mission. The world is dying and going to hell, and they need to hear the only message of hope available, and that is salvation, healing, and deliverance through Jesus Christ. And he's depending on you to be his witness. Will you close your eyes right now, and I want you to come to Jesus for whatever your need might be right now. Look, this guy, keep your eyes closed and just connect and listen to my voice while you're connecting with God. And let the Holy Spirit come upon you right where you are because his presence is here. This is where Jesus is going to meet your needs specifically. This guy was paralyzed for 38 years, but he never gave up until Jesus showed up. Don't give up until you see him face to face. You'd rather meet him believing than not believing. Believe him for the healing right now. Put yourself in that man's place. And say, Jesus loves me as much as he loved that man. Ask him for your healing right now. Come on, let go of the identity of being sick. Let go of the pity. That is a poor trade-off for a healing. Let God restore you from that broken marriage so you were abused you were told things about yourself that are deeply hurtful Jesus is more powerful than that come to him give that pain to him right now say Jesus I don't want to live victimized heal me some of you today your sins are not forgiven when you die you don't know where you're going Jesus has the answer for you today. If you, right now, right where you are, 
will invite Jesus Christ into your heart for the forgiveness of your sins. He will forgive you immediately. He will breathe his spirit into you right now. And you will be what the Bible calls being born again. That is the spirit of your father in heaven enters your soul and you become a child of God. Your sins will be forgiven. And you will be a follower of Christ. If that's you, the last thing I just said about giving your life to Jesus, if that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are and say, I've never received Jesus as my Savior, and I need to invite him in my life now. I need him for salvation. He's asking you the same question as the man, do you want to be healed? He's asking you this morning, do you want to be saved? He won't force himself on you. You have to invite him in. If that's you, raise your hand straight up in the air and say, that's me. I am asking Jesus Christ into my heart today for the salvation of my soul and forgiveness of my sins. Okay, now I want to do this last thing before we uh, call the prayer teams down. I want us to I want us to wage a war against the spirit of unbelief. Some of you are afraid to believe. Because you're afraid of being disappointed. Do you know Babe Ruth struck out as many times as home runs he hit? He was the strikeout king and the home run king. You cannot stop believing. Don't let unbelief be your bedfellow. Kick him out and say, Faith is my new best friend. I'm going to believe God. In every area of my life, in every nook and cranny, and I'm going to hit some home runs. If you're, if that's you, and you have been crippled by unbelief, and you want to start believing God again, this is a restoration of faith moment. I want you to stand on your feet. You've been, you have been, go ahead. You have been battling with unbelief, and you are ready. To have your faith renewed and reinvigorated and reinstated. Go ahead and stand on your feet if that's you. Jesus many times told people to do an act. Reach forth your hand and they heal it. Go to the pool and be healed. That's it. I see you guys standing back there. You're standing here, standing Anybody else? I want you to know something. There's an impartation right now. God did this to me over the summer. I went on a prayer retreat and the Lord renewed my faith. And it's the same kind of faith I had when I was about 25 years old. When I was believing for things that everybody called stupid and they came to pass. He's restored and renewed my faith. It's real. It's a gift. It's a spiritual gift. I want to impart that this morning to anyone in this house that is suffering and struggling because unbelief keeps talking you out of stuff. But that's you standing on your feet. We only have a couple minutes here before I pray this prayer. And I want to release this into you. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Don't let pride be your friend either. If that's you and you need unbelief broken and fresh faith to be released in your life, stand on your feet. Okay. Amen. Thank you for standing. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough for God to do some unbelievably dynamic things. 
I want to wait one more moment. If that's you, stand. God's going to break a well of faith open inside of you. You're going to find a new power to pray with. You're going to be believing again when you pray, not just hoping. You're going to go ahead and pray for that sick person that you've been afraid to pray for. You're going to prophesy. Is this God or is this just me? You're going to step out and just go ahead and prophesy. Help people, encourage people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we as a body, okay, now everybody else that's sitting down, would you pray with me for those that are standing up? Just pray right now. Pray against the spirit of unbelief. These people wouldn't stand up if it wasn't real in their life. They're, they're tired of being harassed by fear, doubt, and unbelief. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, these people are standing in the presence of God. Their humility is opening a window of grace right now. And we as the body of Christ take authority over the spirit of unbelief, fear, and doubt. And we say no to you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Father, we now pray a release of the spirit of faith that all things are possible with God. Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Let's all stand.